Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we try to identify the next App Store reign among the uncertainty of prime new releases. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. It was a, a good week, a nice mix of things again this week, so I'm ready to talk some apps and Apple and all kinds of stuff. There was some surprising big news. Like, we always seem to have a bunch of games to talk about, but even though it's December, Apple's making news as they've acquired Shazam, that music identifying service that's been around since the App Store launched in 2008. And I think they've had over a billion downloads if you combine iOS and Android. And every year they seem to be updated to the new features of the next iPhone or what have you. And it just... It makes sense, actually. Like, Beats was a little weird in terms of high-profile acquisition, but Shazam makes sense just because Apple Music is so integrated into Apple's DNA and just having an app service that has become really well-known where you'll even see commercials where it says Shazam this and you'll get more information. So it's a really interesting kind of algorithm matching system. It's connected directly to Siri. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, like any way that they can control this so that they own it. So people are already using this app. It's already installed on probably millions of devices. And if they can control where it goes every single time to make sure it is always going to their Apple Music store, then that's a win for them. It's well worth the money to take this this base that already uses the product and just make sure it's always bringing them to their products. And I mean, when Shazam first came out, there was another competitor. I can't remember which one came first, but SoundHound and they both had similar services. And then Shazam seemed to be the one that took over and SoundHound kind of just disappeared into the ether. It's still around the app still being updated and they even have their own little personal assistant app, but Shazam really became the one that was the most popular and won out in this battle of like technologies. Yeah, you never know which one's going to get that popularity factor when you have those two competing services, but Shazam definitely solidified its position as the number one in the market. Even if, you know, way back when, I think SoundHound was better at figuring out what song it was, or at least quicker, but it didn't seem that the technology advantage actually mattered. There was just some marketing blitz or some connections that Shazam had. Yeah, SoundHound, I think it even was the one that let you like hum the song, and right. it kind of figured it out. So yeah, their algorithm definitely seemed to work better, but as we've seen from other technologies with like Betamax versus VHS, it's not always the best technology that wins. It's just the one that ends up marketing it the best and getting it out there that ends up winning the technology war. And so it's estimated that Apple acquired Shazam for about $400 million. And I think as recently as 2005, they had a valuation of a billion dollars. So I guess Apple kind of played their cards right, waited it out to acquire them at a lower service fee. And so there's the pure kind of having Shazam under the Apple umbrella. But also Shazam has those music identification technologies you know, there you have all these algorithms to match it as quickly as possible that Apple could possibly use to enhance, you know, their Apple music service or the iTunes Genius Library or any of those different services they have. And then also Shazam has augmented reality features so you can point your device at specific 
posters and images that have Shazam kind of built in to identify and again sync up that way. So you have algorithms plus AR as technologies that Apple's acquiring as well. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like the perfect fit, and I'm curious to see what else they do with this beyond the obvious things of them just incorporating it with their current stuff. Where else are they going to take this? It's got to be more than, hey, Siri, what's currently playing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the big Apple news of the week. But also, Amazon made some news because they finally launched the Amazon Prime video app for the Apple TV. This was first announced back at WWDC in June, so it's taken six months, but that Amazon Prime video app is now available on the Apple TV, so you don't have to use AirPlay from your iPhone or iPad to send video content up to your device, and Amazon has a bunch to watch. You know, they have all those original shows. They're not on par with Netflix just in terms of sheer number, but there's definitely quality there when you talk about Bosch and Goliath and Red Oaks and Mozart in the Jungle and Transparent. There's a lot of different things to watch. And then they have all those connections to other stations. Like they have all of HBO back catalog. They have Mr. Robot and the Americans and Hannibal and just a lot of different content to watch. And now it's just so much easier. I mean, it's not revolutionary. The Amazon app is on every kind of streaming service you can get. It's built into smart TVs, but Apple definitely needed Amazon on the Apple TV. Yeah, I don't fully understand what took so long for this app to make it here. It had to be legal reasons. It couldn't possibly be technical reasons uh, for the finally to, to show up. The one show that I'm really looking forward to is Jean-Claude Van Johnson. If you haven't seen the first episode of that, that original is hilarious. You definitely have to watch that. But yes, it is nice to finally be to have the Apple TV on par with all of these other streaming devices where it just was a, a obvious like misstep for it not to be on there yet. And so now it's finally there. And then also that Amazon Prime Video app connects with the TV app. So it has Up Next. And I haven't really used Up Next that much because it's still not connected with Netflix. And, you know, if you don't constantly subscribe to different services, like, oh, I have HBO Now forever for the rest of my life, you know, if you only get it when, say, Game of Thrones is on or something, you know, very specific use cases, that Up Next doesn't have the most usability. But with this Amazon Prime app, I finally get to use Up Next. And it's pretty cool when you watch episode four of Deadwood and then episode five is ready to go when you check in next time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the biggest problem I have with the whole Apple TV app is it seems to have some issues co with connecting all of my various channels with Comcast Xfinity. And I don't know if it's what the deal is there, but it didn't seem to recognize all of my possible channels that I get and be able to access them all via that TV app. I, I don't know. It just seemed very limited for me. So I don't I don't tend to use my Apple TV all that much, but I've tried to go in there and try some of these things and it just seemed a little lacking for as far as my provider goes, but other providers, it seemed people don't seem to have any problems. Everything's there. Yeah. It just really kind of depends on your setup, but as long as you have Amazon, I mean, I watch Amazon almost daily cause I'm, you know, finding alpha house or orphan black or just something new to watch through their back catalog. 
And having it on the Apple TV with the Up Next is definitely just more convenient than using the iOS AirPlay method. Oh, yeah. The AirPlay method should be dead at this point. Everything should have an Apple TV. If you're a video streaming service, you should be on the Apple TV native and not have to deal with that AirPlay nonsense. Yeah, there's, there's a limitation on sports apps when it comes to the Apple TV counterpart, especially if it's local sports. Like the big like ESPN has their specific app. But if you want to watch just like specifically the Laker games, the Spectrum Sportsnet app still is only iOS based. It's not Apple TV based. And, you know, Apple made this big push of a sports app to stand next to their TV app. But it pretty much only connects to MLB at bat, the official NBA app and ESPN at the moment. So they're going to need to kind of update their local partners if they want to really have sports be available on the Apple TV. But some of that is probably license, weird licensing issues. All of it. Right? Almost I mean, 100% of yeah. it is licensing thing. But if Apple yes. wants live TV to work, they're going to have to figure that out. Right. And you can tell this has got to be their next step to go in and compete with like Sony, PlayStation View, the DirecTV, the YouTube, all those. They, they really want to have their own television streaming service that people would sign up for. And in order to do that, they have to get these licensing deals. And I think it's all of these companies struggle with that. But you would think with Apple, with the amount of money they can throw around, they should be working this out faster than just about anybody. Yeah. And so that's pretty much the news of the week. But there's plenty of apps. And the next one is kind of a merger of app and game. It's called HQ Live Trivia Game Show. And it's become quite popular by offering essentially a TV trivia game show available daily at specific times. And you get to tune in and play. And you play with hundreds of thousands of other people. And you get to split the eventual cash prize. So today, or Monday through Friday, it's it. 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. Today's show is delayed, but to give you an idea, the cash prize was $1,500, and there was 151 winners. So it came out that each person won $9.93, but it's $9.93 that you didn't have beforehand, and it's just by playing a trivia game. So rather than playing Trivia Crack or something, you can play these live game shows, answer 12 questions, and if you get them all right, then you win some small pocket change. Yeah, it's, it kind of reminds me almost of, like, You Don't Know Jack. They have this this host, Scott Rogowski, who's a writer for The Onion, and so he's, like, this comedic guy that's doing all this kind of talking while the questions are going on. And as soon as he starts reading one of the questions, you have 10 seconds to, to pick one of the three multiple-choice answers. So, you, I mean, some of them you might have enough time to look it up on Google to try to get the answer, but most likely you are not going to have time. You have to quickly choose an answer, and by the time they put the whole question up on the screen, you maybe have three seconds to answer. But if you get any one of those 12 questions wrong, you're out, unless you have one of these like extra live things, which you get those for people signing up with your referral link, and then it automatically lets you... Like, you get it wrong, but then you get to continue. And you can only use one of those in the actual game. So this past Sunday, they did, like, a $10,000 prize. And I think there were, like, 93 winners of that. So each person got, like, a little over 100 bucks. And then they actually did a second 
uh, $10,000 game, and I didn't stay through the end. I lost on that, so I just quit. I didn't stick through to see what all the questions were, who won. But it's it's a fun little kind of distraction, and it's because it's live, you know it's going to be a certain period of time. Unfortunately, if you're not in right at the beginning, you can't get in, which is kind of the annoyance about live TV. But it's just kind of reminiscent of those TV game shows, but anyone gets to compete. You don't have to worry about being the selected contestant. All you do is load the app up on your phone and you're good to go. Yeah, it removes that whole barrier to entry of a usual game show where they only have a select number of contestants. Jeopardy only has three contestants a night. So this way, anyone can join in and play. And it comes from the creators of Vine, and they've done a really good job of setting up the back end to to handle all the different people who are playing at once. I mean, over the weekend, I think they had over 400,000 people logged in simultaneously answering questions. You do have just that A, B, or C trivia choices, but it's still, these are some tough questions. It's general trivia knowledge. It's not specific genre, but there's some really challenging questions in there. Yeah, there was there was one where I got out and I knew every other answer on it. And I, the one I got out on, I should have guessed if I had just taken a moment to think about the question. But you're in that rush because you really only, by the time you can actually, you hear them say the question, by the time you can actually sit there and read it, you have like that three second window that your brain is trying to figure out, oh, which one is it, which one is it? I think you can change your answer before time runs out. So if you tap on one thing, you can quickly change it. So you're not locked in right with your immediate first guess. But you do have to make a decision quickly, which adds to the to the pressure that you have of guessing these answers correctly. Yep. And so that's HQ Live Trivia Game Show. It's free. It's universal. And you can actually win real money. It's actually not that, you know, usually when you see that winning real money, like some bingo game or some slots game, it seems kind of bogus. This game is actually legit in delivering the money as long as you can answer the questions. Yeah, yep. And so now we'll transition to some actual big-time games this week. And the first one is Reigns Her Majesty, the follow-up to the original single word Reigns. And so the original game was all about being a king. Her Majesty lets you play as the queen. And so it's actually more complex than just that simple distinction in that there's all new scenarios to play through. And there's a whole new... So the entire game is based on you're given essentially a stack of cards with different scenarios and you swipe either left or right and that's going to have a different answer and so you have to worry about four different things you have to worry about the church the people your money or the essentially strength of your army or power of your position as queen and so you every question can impact those four different items and so you'll see as you swipe left or right and you keep your finger on screen there'll be dots over which one it's going to affect you don't know if it's going to be good or bad and you, the essential strategy of the game is to kind of figure out, will this be good or bad? Will this improve my standing with the church? Will this cost a bunch of money? And so you have to balance it out because you lose if it either fills entirely or drops entirely. So if you empty or completely fill any of the four segments, it's game over. And so you have to keep that balance going. And then Her Majesty makes it so... There's these overarching missions between the timeline. So when you die, your queen then starts over and you're now playing again 
So it starts in like the year 1000. And you know, every single year, uh, your queen continues on that overarching chronicled timeline. And it's over, you'll figure out all these little subtle things. So you can try to be queen longer and longer. And then it's going to tie to unlocking new characters, meeting new people, and that's going to give you new missions. And then there's kind of this subtle overarching storyline that I don't want to give away. It's kind of the best to just experience yourself. But there's incentive to keep playing. As you get into like the year 1300, there's going to be all new ideas about how you're being queen for all these periods of time. Right, yeah. So that it has that same exact style as Reigns where you are trying to balance those elements. But it, it I love how you can see that some of the items will be affected just a little bit and some will be affected by a lot. So you see like either a tiny little dot or a large dot. And you do have to try to figure it out in your head. Is this a good thing or bad thing? And you have to weigh, well, maybe my popularity with the people will go down, but I have plenty of level in that. That's fine. But I really am running out of money. So I, if it's going to cost us money, there's no way I can do that option. And because you know it's just going to boot you out. And then all of a sudden you're going to die in some horrible, weird way. And then some new queen is going to take over and you start as that new queen. And as you do complete those certain little missions that come up, you unlock whole new sets of cards as well, which are new little scenarios or other things that can happen or a new character you'll run into. So there's incentive to kind of hit those little rolling sets of goals because you know it'll change up the game and also gives you kind of like a guideline of, hey, maybe I should choose this because I think that's going to lead me to hitting this particular mission goal. So there's all these little things that kind of help you guide it, but in the end you're still doing that whole Tinder swipe left, swipe right, and making those decisions yourself of how you want to reign as the queen and the good and bad that comes with those decisions. Yeah, the game really kind of extracts your opinion out of it because you really have to balance those four factors. So you could say, do you want to hold a party for the king? And you might want to say yes, but you have like no money, so you can't really. So you have to say no to it, even if you want to do it yourself, just so you can keep another year going on your reign so you always have that delicate balance of things and then the sequel or it's essentially a spin-off also has this new items toolbar so you can drag out a spell book or a chicken bone or these various items that you uncover for specific cards and so each card kind of has a matching item and so you can play these items at a specific time to change the story and then open up a whole new set of cards. So you have that to constantly balance with. And like you said, when you come across certain scenarios, you might know that it ties to achievement. Like it says your mission will be like, try to befriend a witch. And then you'll have this card where the woman looks like a witch. She has a little witch hat. And you're like, if I can follow this strand correctly, I'll befriend the rich and com- or the witch and complete that achievement. So you always kind of have that subtle incentive in the back of your mind to try to find specific little clues in the scenarios to work on those overarching missions. Right. And the nice thing is that sometimes those incentives will go counter to the stats that you currently have in those factors and you got to really tread that line to hope that you don't do the wrong thing in where you're trying to compete that complete that goal 
but it's going to drive down your stats so much that one's going to hit zero or drive them up too high that it's going to go full and then you're going to get killed. So you're always having to look at all a whole bunch of different factors, even though it's just such a simple thing of swipe left or swipe right and choose one of those those decisions. There's a lot more to it, which that's what I really loved about the first one. And I do like the, the new little things they've added to this uh, the kind of expanded just a little bit to give you a little more meat to everything. Right. It's not like a revolutionary new version of Reigns, but they do just enough to make it feel fresh. And not only that, but it seems there's going to be some definite overlap as you play from time to time. You'll get the same cards, but the overarching kind of storyline along that timeline of hundreds of years you'll actually have just enough push to want to keep playing through cards that you've played before at the chance that you'll unlock the new cards, the new segments, new items, and eventually kind of figure out that overarching entirety structure of how you get to be queen reign after reign. Yes, yeah. And even when you die, it's it's fun, weird ways to figure out how you're going to die. Yep. And so that's Reigns Her Majesty. It's 2.99. It's universal. If you haven't played the original, this game doesn't take away from the original. It's still a worthwhile counterpart that's still reason to download and play, but Her Majesty definitely stands by itself and is another worthy addition to the line. Agreed. And so next up is The Uncertain, which is a really interesting story where it has this whole philosophical idea set in the future where humanity is supposedly wiped out by themselves and robots have essentially inherited the earth because of the bad decisions of humanity. Humanity, We've seen that sci-fi storyline numerous times, but they go into it in like an Isaac Asimov, more philosophical approach of how the robots kind of deal with their existence, interact with one another, and kind of experience the what's left of humanity and try to figure out why humanity made the decisions they did how do they get to that current point and all these different structured ideas and so you have that all to go through with this i mean the actual game is just a 3d kind of adventure game that you've played before it's not the most complex gameplay wise but the storyline is definitely intriguing yeah i kind of had mixed feelings about this one i i did like the storyline, I felt like the gameplay itself felt a bit slow and almost kind of on rails. Like you knew exactly what you need to do next. I mean, it does have these nice little elements where you will go to do something and it's, and it's sort of a puzzly type thing you have to do, like a mini game in order to complete the task that you have to do. But as far as the even story-wise, I almost thought subsurface circular, which we talked about a few weeks ago, I thought the dialogue felt more realistic and engaging than this. This felt like they were trying to pull off the story, but it felt a little clunky to me. I don't, I don't know how you felt. The gameplay was definitely substandard, but the storyline... Subsurface Circular focuses entirely on dialogue. The entire game is based on dialogue choices. It's that whole, you know, adventure dialogue choice like Lifeline or Oxenfree or Telltale game where the dialogue is key to the entire game. This game is more 
overarching story. I like the premise of it rather than the dialogue execution of the story. Like I'm more intrigued by the entire overarching narrative rather than the focused singularities. I definitely agree that the quotes or the dialogue within this game or even the core structure are definitely not as engaging. Yeah, yeah. I would have rather had this be a story written the whole plot line that they have but written as like a book that i could listen to or or read rather than i don't know it just felt like it's not fully flushed out like even the movement felt clunky in the game like it just didn't feel solidly done there was almost like a weird thing where you could use the accelerometer to kind of tilt and see a little bit more of the rooms as you're walking around but it you couldn't walk to those areas like you could walk only so far into the room and then you had to tilt in order to maybe see the object that you had to then interact with you couldn't actually directly walk up to that particular object which just felt odd to me like i i understand if you want to kind of create more of a an an immersive experience where you're in there but you still need to be able to see it without having forcing the player to use this tilt to kind of see those particular things to interact with i don't know it just felt odd to me it didn't feel fully finished that that's the exact kind of feeling i had it doesn't seem complete like the controls are a bit tedious the gameplay isn't that complex the pacing of the entire story as well as the structure within the game is slow the 3d engine isn't fully fleshed out there's a kind of a essentially cinematic action sequence where you're not even doing anything and there's these still graphical glitches that you're just witnessing so the fully game isn't like polished or complete it seemed like it needed another cycle to fully develop the game and that left it disappointing because i wanted to play more through the story to see what they're going to do with the story but there wasn't that much to play through. It was really tedious to get going and doing anything that I don't think I'm ever going to make it through the storyline. Right, and this is like the first of four or five episodes, so it's going to be an episodic thing, and supposedly the first one has three hours of gameplay. I'm wondering if it's really closer to two hours, but it's three hours because things are just kind of slow and you have to like work your way through them. I don't know. It. I, I'm curious to see. I, I wanted to look up and see if this was like a... It almost feels like a Kickstarter game to me. Like it, someone tried to put this together and they got some money and did their best with what they had for funding and then had to get it out because they had a deadline. It. I don't know. It just feels like it could have been the incubator a couple more weeks or even a month and things could have been fixed up a little bit. Yep. The uncertain... I would... I'm not uncertain on it. I would have to say that it's <laughs> it, it's not worth... There's too many better choices for the games out there, and it's just not ready for prime time. Yeah, I'd agree. And so it's $2.99, and it's universal. And then there's Ashworld, which comes from the makers of Heroes of Loot, Gunslugs, Meganoid, and with their games, they all have that action-packed versions of familiar genres. So in the case of Ashworld... It's an action-packed kind of survival game. You have this whole top-down experience, and it's that post-apocalyptic, futuristic world. It's kind of like Mad Max in that regard. And so you have these abandoned cars, and any kind of resources that you can gather are going to be worth a lot. And you have to survive as all these other people are trying to do the same thing. So you're going to have to fight people with your bare fists or boomerangs, shotguns, machine guns, whatever you can get your hands on to be able to handle 
and just survive through the onslaught of people. Like you'll just try and be walking to the whatever your next task is and this gang of other guys comes and they start beating on you so you have to essentially survive or you're just walking through the desert and these cars are trying to run you over so you want to jump into one car and then go against them and you just have that constant day-night cycle where you're trying to survive you need to maintain your health and then go back to your pad to get energy and resources to then go back out for the next day and as you go you're going to build up your resources you can upgrade your character in multiple ways and you constantly have something to shoot for so you'll go into this little village and you'll have a new task like you need to kill a big huge slugworm thing that will provide food for the entire village and so to do that you then need to collect some scraps so you can get information on where these slugs reside at and so you have that constant focus with each new day but then like I said, anything can happen on a given day. You could have this band of guys come in and they beat you up really bad. So you then need to go back to your house and just sleep it off or try to get any healing medicine to then. So you kind of wasted a whole day on your trip. So you always have that constant survival challenge as well. So I haven't had a chance to play this one. I played a lot of the other Orange Pixel games. This one looked kind of like that style of like don't starve or death road to Canada or crash lands, even where you had like a survival element and then you're kind of doing a whole crafting thing. Is that kind of what it's like those type of games? Yeah, it's definitely like that survival adventure of crash lands or don't starve, but with more action thrown in those games have a more exploration crafting focus. This game has exploration and crafting, but lesser than the amount of action that's poured in and the sheer challenge to survive okay cool yeah because i i like orange pixels other games because they are like that constant action and exploration kind of deal but then it seemed like a weird mashup where they now brought in this whole crafting element and it doesn't seem like something they would normally do. And I didn't know how it really fit in with their usual style or if they're kind of shifting, but it sounds like they kind of just merged their usual stuff and added this new element of that popular PC uh, survival type genre. Those elements definitely are kind of on the back burner in the game with like Heroes of Loot, you know, it's a dungeon crawler that's super action packed, but it fits because, you know, you still have that RPG progression and it just amps up the action. This game, it seems like you have that action aspect, but the crafting is second nature, the mission system, the exploration are second nature because you can have entire days derailed just by the random occurrences that happen in the game. And then the day night cycle is really aggressive where it becomes night in like 30 seconds or a minute so the days go really quick and then night all kinds of damages come out like and don't starve so you have that but you don't have as much time to explore and gather resources to do the crafting so the balance is a bit off like they should have skewed that slider to have you know less action Okay, so you're saying they should have gone more the route of kind of trying something new and focusing more on that crafting, et cetera, thing, rather than trying to merge the two and kind of only just partially adding this stuff to it. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was concerned about it because it, it, I wasn't exactly sure what type of game. I, I kind of would love to see them do that where they go for that just the complete something completely different and out of left field and try something new. I don't know that the that sort of mashup really lends itself together that well, and it sounds like they end up not really totally pulling it off. Yeah, I don't think they did pull it off just because there's not that much time to explore. And then also the action is a little simplistic for their usual standards just because you're kind of limited with the on-screen controls and then they have this top-down super pixelated aspect where your character is of just a few pixels on the screen. So you don't have as much kind of control over the happenings and it just seems like you're kind of removed from the battle where you're just jamming X and not really caring what that does because there's like a little auto fire auto aim kind of setup it's just a little removed so it seems like in trying to balance the two they sacrificed a little of their detail in their usual action games but didn't go full in on creating the survival adventure experience okay yeah that's kind of a bummer but yeah okay yeah but that's Ash World it's three ninety nine. it's universal and then to round out the week is Gloppy, which is a neat little 3D puzzle game where you have this 3D sphere and you have these little balls and there's a pathway where you need to spin the sections of the sphere to line up the path for the little marbles to roll over the entire sphere for the point at the bottom. And then as you proceed through the levels, there's going to be new shapes more different colored balls to deal with at once and more complex pathways. Yeah. So these spheres, they actually look like really ornate. They look like real wooden balls that you have and you can slide portions of them and you can rotate the whole thing. And then you can also tilt your device to kind of lean the ball backward and forward and have the, the little balls kind of roll within those pathways. The whole trick of the game is you have to get the colored ball into the matching colored hole. And on some of them, so you got to avoid multiple balls rolling down into the hole. So you got to quickly slide these things over after one ball comes in so that another one doesn't come in. Or you got to tilt back to kind of roll the rest of the balls out of the way. Then there'll be sometimes where the colored hole that you need doesn't exist. But there might be one little tunnel of that color that will turn whatever ball that rolls through it into that color. So then you now have to get a ball that has no colored hole that matches over near that tunnel, roll it through the tunnel and then bring it connected up so that it goes to the proper hole. And you're always trying to avoid accidentally having the other balls go where they're not supposed to. And it's this, almost like a balancing act where you're tilting and twisting, and it it really gives it a real physical feel, like you have this actual sphere in your hands, and you're manipulating it with your fingers and trying to get it uh, in just the right combinations and quickly get the balls out of the way. I don't know, it just gets a really tactile feel, even though you're holding a flat, square device or rectangular device it feels like you have that sphere in your hands which is pretty impressive and i mean the graphics do a phenomenal job of really showing this beautifully rendered shiny wooden ball in front of you yeah the game is absolutely beautiful to your point and then it kind of merges the ideas of labyrinth where you're rolling these balls 
and then it has like a Rubik's cube or a Rubik's f- sphere essentially as you have to flip the sides around. And I think it's so immersive because they do where you have one finger on the sides to spin them around, two fingers to flip the entire cube, and then the tilt to control the balls. So you have to move your device and interact with it in multiple different ways to kind of give you that tactical in your hands experience of that sphere it's a really well made game of just a great job in pulling that off from essentially a small developer that i've never heard of before right yeah you almost wonder if they have these physical things that they had in their shop like maybe they do a wood shop on the side and they have these physical toys that they create because it just feels like they had to have this in a real world to be able to manipulate it and feel exactly how it should feel on the screen and react the way it does. Like, their physics engine is amazing in this. It works just like you would expect it to. And like if you had this physical thing in your hand, if you try to rotate it in order to see what's on the other sides, then you're going to end up causing the little marble balls to roll and maybe roll into a place where you don't want them to be. So you really have to be careful as you're rotating it and tilting just to keep the balls steady so that things aren't moving. I, it's really, really impressive. And exactly what you said, like I've never heard of this developer before and this is like their first one out of the gate and it is super impressive. Yep. So that's gloppy. It's a dollar 99 and it's universal. Yeah, and then the last thing I just wanted to mention was Agent A, which is a point-and-click adventure game that I absolutely love. My daughter loves this. We played through the first three episodes. They just launched episode four, just came out, and episode five will be next year, which concludes the story. It's a free update. Like, they could have easily done this episodic and charged you for each one, but if you already own this app and maybe you uninstalled it, reinstall it and update and play through the whole thing. I mean, the the newest chapter only took about, I would say, 30 to 40 minutes to play through. They're not very long, uh, but they are so well done. And the story kind of ends abruptly in four. So, you know, it's going to tie directly into five. And ideally, you want to play through this whole thing in one go, which I think would work well. But you remember what you did in the last one because it's such a memorable game that you really want to again play these as soon as they come out because you can't wait, or at least I can't. And my daughter definitely couldn't because she was counting down the days until it was coming out so that she could play. So if you have Agent A, you definitely want to play Episode 4 free of charge. So check it out. Yeah, it's worth noting that the episode five is going to be released mid 2018. I'm trying to wait till then to play all the episodes in line. But like you said, I know that is difficult. Yes, it's it's too appealing. And so I think that's everything for episode 46. Yeah, that's all I got. Brett, Brett thanks for joining me. Oh yeah, it's a pleasure. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.